Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning again. It's great to see you. Uh, great to worship with you here this morning. It was a beautiful sunrise today. And I've been so grateful that though the heat does not work in here, it hasn't been too cold yet. So praise the Lord. Um, so we're finishing up our series this morning on uh, the book of Habakkuk. We've been in it the last two weeks. And today we finish up with chapter three. If you missed the other two and you want to go back and listen, all of our sermons are on our website at cCAnglicanchurch.org slash sermons. Uh, But let me pray for us as we begin together. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may those who sow in tears reap with songs of joy. May those who go out weeping and carrying seed to sow return again with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. Amen. Well, if you've been a part of Anglican worship for any length of time... Um, You know that we like to have a very embodied experience of worship. Um, You know, you are not just heads on a stick to be filled with knowledge. You are bodies uh, to be inhabited with the gospel. And and so we have a very embodied way of worshiping. And so we pass the peace, as you know. Uh, Later on, we'll pass the peace to one another. We make the sign of the cross. We have water as you walk in so that you can cross yourself to remind yourself of your baptism. Uh, we think carefully about what you see up here and what you don't see up here. The things that your eyes are drawn to, like these things matter. We hear the scriptures read. We hear them taught. Uh, we taste God's grace in the Eucharist, uh, in the bread and in the wine in a meal each week. And in the future, there are going to be, on occasion, some services where we get to engage our olfactory imagination as, as we burn a little bit of sandalwood or uh, frankincense or cassia or something else. Um, whenever I smell burning sandalwood or, or cassia or frankincense, I tell you, the, all the distractions for me just immediately go away, and I am, like, drawn into prayer. Something about smell that's so helpful. And, and one of the other ways that we engage together uh, our senses is we sing. Uh, this is a unique place where we sing together regularly. Songs are part of creating what we would call a sacramental imagination, um, where we see God's grace at work in our lives. And at a church that I, I used to work in a long time ago, the music director had modified one of the the I call it the before you go to bed liturgy. It's the compline prayer. He modified that a little bit to include more singing. And so after we had the evening service, we would break out our guitars, bring out the thurible, light some incense, sing some songs with a modified compline. It was a lovely time together. Um, and as we sang in that context one night, I remember I was almost in tears as we were singing because I was in a season of my life back then where there was just a lot of transition. Um, and, and I remembered singing a song that I had sang a long time ago when I was like 15 as a brand new believer who just started following Jesus. 
singing that song connected that young 15-year-old, newly Christian, zealous Baptist Morgan to the current one who was like seeking ordination in this tradition that loved liturgy, using incense, baptizing infants, chanting, praying pre-written prayers. It, it connected those two people for me. Um, and, and what it is, it connected God's mercy across all these different areas of my life in a way that spoken words often can't, with the exception of probably poetry. And songs have this profound way of creating and connecting who we are to who we've been and to who we ought to be. And so they also have the power to give um, voice to the chaos that we see around us, which we may not be able to give words to. So the Old Testament is filled with songs. And it's got songs in just random stories, like in Judges 5. Uh, But you have an entire book of songs Uh, The the book of Psalms. I mean, the book of Song of Solomon is too, but that's a little different. The book of Psalms are are, uh, songs, also called the Psalter. And when you think of the New Testament, even in the New Testament, there's these little uh, Christological hymns that are inserted in places. And St. Paul even says at a certain point, you know, exhorting and admonishing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Like, this is part of what Christians do as inhabited creatures who are embodying the gospel. We sing. Songs give us the words that we need to express the different movements that are going on in our soul. They challenge us to be faithful um, in, in all of life's chaos and the changing circumstances around us. And so I think it's very fitting then that we end the book of Habakkuk with a compilation of songs. It's one big song filled with multiple songs. Um, we actually did just finish a song in Habakkuk 2. That was a different kind of song. That song was a taunt song where all the nations who had been defeated by Babylon rose up to sing sort of tauntingly about the death of Babylon. That's a different kind of song. A valuable one, but a different kind. The the chapter ended with all the earth being silent before the Lord. And then we start in chapter 3, verse 1, with a strange phrase that nobody knows how to translate. Uh, The early versions do all kind of interesting things with it, uh, but nobody knows what it means, this shigunyoth, uh, and, and it's almost certainly an indicator of music, whatever it means. The chapter is a sung prayer, it's this compilation of God's salvation act, uh, acts in history, forming this composite song about the goodness and the salvation of God, and that's also why you have, you heard me say selah several times, that's in Hebrew, selah is just Uh, It's another musical notation that's mentioned in this passage. And then later on it talks about this being addressed to the choir master on stringed instruments. So Habakkuk teaches us to sing like somebody who lives by faith. Last week we looked at what does it mean to live by faith. That was all about what chapter 2 verse 4 was about. Now it's singing like someone who lives by faith. The life of faith, what it does is it takes grief Seriously, doesn't paper it over. It maintains, in the midst of grief, it maintains a hopeful resolution in God that is strengthened um, by songs of deliverance. And so this first verse, uh, this first composite song, draws us back to an event that happened way back in the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, it's the second book of the Bible. God had brought a people out of Egypt where they were enslaved. 
and then he gave them the law. And the giving of the law happened on a mountain. Um, and that mountain is referred to in Scripture as Mount Sinai. And if you think of the Sinai Peninsula, it's that little uh, hinterland in between Egypt and what we now know of as Israel. It's south of Israel. There was thunder. There was lightning on Mount Sinai. The mountain shook. God gave the commandments to Moses and his people. And he established a covenant of faithfulness with his people. And that's what's behind verses 3 through 7 here. It's a song about the Sinai event. God came like a warrior from Temon in the south. It says the Holy One came from Mount Paran. These are all places in the south. And as God comes like a warrior, the nations and all of their systems are going to be brought to nothing. The mountains that have been around since the creation of the world are fleeing uh, from the wrath of God and they are brought down. The only thing that's standing in this passage are God's uh, impartial judgments that have existed from eternity past. It's the only thing left standing. And so in this song, Habakkuk is reminded that when, when God shakes the earth, those who are going to live by faith are part of an unshakable kingdom. When God shakes the earth, those who live by faith are part of an unshakable kingdom. And, and when you think about that imagery, that feels really similar to something we find in the New Testament, which is in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, after talking about that whole list of faithful people and admonishing people to stay faithful, the writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant." A new Sinai, if you will. And so as I mentioned earlier about that song that connected me um, and who I've been to, what God has brought me to, um, that welled up in my spirit the reality that God hasn't changed. I, I may be a different person now, but God never changed. Uh, God still loved me as much then as he does now. And, and I think that is one of the beauties of the liturgy. You know, when we come and we do very similar things each week, we rhythmically bring ourselves before the one who doesn't change. Um, and although, you know, you and I are going to be different every week, God is not different every week. Um, the liturgy invites us to come in a real way to Mount Zion where we experience afresh the saving acts of God. Where we sing, uh, as you'll hear later, with angels, archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we are brought into the book of Revelation each time we worship in the liturgy. So in verses 8 through 15, then, if we've just come from Sinai, the next part of the composite song brings us to the Exodus narrative. Um, Sinai reminds us that God is unshakable amidst very shakable things of creation, and that we're part of that kingdom that doesn't fall. But Exodus reminds us that God fiercely fights for his people. God fiercely fights for his people. His presence, um, even though God's presence can be hidden, it will ultimately be revealed. Egypt was not a small army when you think back to the book of Exodus. Pharaoh and his armies had created what felt like a system of oppression that could never be escaped by these uh, agrarian slaves who were under this oppressive army. And in actuality, it was humanly impossible for them to escape this scenario. 
but with God all things are possible. And so God marched through the sea, it says the Red Sea, to, or the Reed Sea, to, to lead his people to safety. And um, as this song says, he marched through to crush the, house of the, the head of the house of the wicked. Um, and if he did that in the past with Exodus, uh, then he can do it again in the future. Because in this passage, what he says is he is aiming to save his anointed one, who is the descendant of David. He's looking forward to one uh, who is coming from the line of David, he will save. And because of that, he will be faithful to his people. In fact, both parts of this song, when you think about it, it's really God's reputation that's at stake. Whether we're talking about Sinai and establishing a covenant with the people, or rescuing a people out of Egypt, God's reputation is what's at stake, because he has to be able to deliver them. And while God's reputation is at stake, one thing to also consider is that often the songs of the faithful precede the experience of deliverance. So often it's the case that even though God saved the people and that became an example to sing about, it's often the case in Scripture that those songs now become the thing that we sing in anticipation of salvation. And so that's the experience of you and I. That's the experience of Habakkuk in this passage. And that's why patience is such an important paradigm in the book of Habakkuk for us. Uh, singing scripture about the salvation of God is, is an, a hopeful act of protest. Um, singing about God's salvation is a hopeful act of protest as we wait. And it strengthens our resolve to do what Habakkuk calls us to do, which is to live by faith. It strengthens the resolve to live by faith. And so we've looked at Sinai, we've looked at Exodus, and then we get to verses 16 and through 19. Habakkuk can face the future with confidence because he knows that God sustains those who are going to follow him in faith. And that fills out what the vision laid out in chapter 2, verse 4, the, the justified will live by his faith. The book has moved, um, you can think of a movement of the soul, the book has moved from outrage to hope in the soul of Habakkuk. Outrage to hope. And you can picture, if you will, a child, I know nobody can picture this, picture a child screaming um, in anger on the floor, uh, throwing their arms around, kicking, um, and they do that for a long time, until there's a moment where those sobs of anger turn to sobs of sadness. And then at that moment, all they want is to just be picked up, hugged, and held. That's a beautiful point to get to. It's painful sitting with the outrage. I know none of you know what that's like. So that movement, though, is one that God invites us into. Um, but some people would rather remain screaming on the floor in their outrage. But Habakkuk's name... When, it actually lexically has something to do with the idea of embracing. And, and I love that his name means to embrace because oftentimes I think of this book like an invitation to be embraced by God. It, it's, a, it's an invitation to be embraced by the God who loves us. So we need to let anger and doubt and fear find, find their resolution not in better circumstances, but in an embrace of the God who is always near to his people. In verse 17, he talks about figs and fruit and olives that are not going to produce, not because it was a bad year, but directly because of this war. There was no food uh, because of the damage that was done to the land. There would be no livestock 
because of all the invaders. And I appreciate that he doesn't just spiritualize that hardship and go, well, God's just got it all in hand. Um, but what he does is he, well, he embraces grief. And we can see this actually, a similar kind of judgment in the New Testament when we look at 1 Peter 4.17. He talks about the suffering of, of Christians. And he says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Again, if we go back to Hebrews 12, verse 6, it talks about the Lord chastening those whom he loves. And so suffering is not outside of the will of God. Suffering can be part of the process of cleansing. Becoming like Christ, uh, more and more like Christ, both individually and corporately, is going to involve some kind of loss. There's something that we have to give up. And that's also true behind the imagery of um, dying to yourself daily. And on the one hand, we don't want to remain in the grief of that thing that we've lost. Uh, we don't want to grieve too long or, or to sit with the sadness too long uh, and cultivate self-pity and complaining without hope. Right? That's not what we want to do. But on the other hand, what we don't want to do is ignore the griefs that we have. Ignore, uh, ignore them and manipulate ourselves into thinking that everything is just fine. Because that's not helpful either. So what we do in Habakkuk is we grieve with hope. In verses 18 and 19, he resolves to rejoice in the Lord, and he takes joy in the God of his salvation. And then he compares himself to a deer on high places, which might feel a little foreign to us. But, you know, you can picture something like if you've ever seen those nature shows, um, there's lots of them that talk about mountain goats so pick one in your head uh, and you can think of this goat like scaling a cliff where you're wondering how in the world is there even a rock for that goat to climb up it i remember there was one where a country had built like a dam that was almost vertical and somehow these goats could scale across the dam is terrifying and i don't know how in the world that happens uh, well i do because i learned from the nature show about their special hooves but <laughs> Imagine now, if you will, these, these mountain goats who are climbing these cliffs, things that seem absolutely impossible, not even necessarily knowing where the next footing is going to find itself, but when it, when it hits the right footing, it clings on so it's not going to fall down the cliff. It's amazing that they can find footing. And so Habakkuk is, is going to have some, some really dark and scary and lonely places in the future. Um, just like this mountain goat. And that is true. And so God provides him a way to stand, um, even if just barely. And so that's going to be true for all the righteous who live by faith. And so that's what Habakkuk becomes. He becomes a paradigm for the faithful. God's going to give them just enough cliff to stand on so that they don't plunge to their death. Um, and they will escape disaster, even if only by a little bit. So when we began the book of Habakkuk, what we discovered is that there was a prophet who was enraged, um, outraged about the injustice that was coming from those who claimed to follow the Lord and have a covenant relationship with the God of Sinai. He asked God hard questions about why evil was continuing to persist, how long God was going to allow him to look on it. We discovered that God's mercy was present, and uh, when it's wrapped in a, it's even present when it's wrapped in something that's like a cloak of injustice. And we sat with Habakkuk then in chapter 2 on the watchtower, where God came and God answered him. The Babylonians that God would use to get rid of all the corrupt leadership in Jerusalem, 
would be even worse than those leaders of Jerusalem. But that wasn't going to last forever. So chapter 2 had invited us into this disposition of waiting in faith for the judgment that God would bring. And then this chapter invites us into a, a life of joyful resolve. A life of joyful resolve that acknowledges both grief and God's faithfulness at the same time. With the encouragement to sing. To sing about God's faithfulness. To sing about the acts of God that he's done um, of old on, as the basis for our hope. God's mercy is always present. His mercy is present even if it's hidden. And because of that, we can hope. Um, and our hope is not in our improved circumstances, but it's in the God who came to save us in Christ, even if just barely, it feels like. And with Habakkuk, you and I can sing about God's salvation. And, and so we should let our resolve be to trust in Christ and to be held, just like in this book, as we wait and entrust the outrage that we have, entrust the doubts that we carry, entrust the fears that we hold on to, to the God who is very near to his people and who makes all things new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be mindful of your promise. Think of us, your servants. And when we shall depart, speak to our spirits these loving words. Today you shall be with me in joy. Lord Jesus Christ, remember us, your servants, who trust in you when our tongues cannot speak, when the sight of our eyes fails, and when our ears are stopped. Let our spirits always rejoice in you and be joyful about our salvation, which you, through your death, have purchased for us. Amen.